Welcome to the Scottish Documentary Institute podcast. My name is Jonathan Melville and this is the first episode focusing on our series of films developed for broadcast on BBC Scotland in association with Screen Scotland as part of the Right Here initiative. Right Here explores the rich diversity of Scottish identity through character-driven stories and beautiful imagery and in this episode we're discussing Parisa Urquhart and Ling Lee's 30-minute film Long Live Livy which is available now on BBC iPlayer. You can also watch the other two films in the series, Our Fathers and Time to Fly. Long Live Livy tells her three ambitious skate girls known as the Snaggle Rats, who formed the group to inspire more girls to skate. They're on a mission to save Livingston Skate Park. In this interview, recorded on Zoom, co-directors Parisa and Ling discuss the process of bringing their idea to TV screens and what might be next for the Snaggle Rats. You can also watch a video of the discussion on our website at scottishdocinstitute.com forward slash masterclasses. First up, you'll hear the director of Scottish Documentary Institute, Noe Mandel. For several years now, we, SDR has been running a, a scheme called uh, This is Scotland. And we started that scheme with uh, BBC and then we went to STV. And now we're back at uh, BBC under the new BBC Scotland um, and under the new title of Right Here. And the idea of uh, this scheme is to actually create a bridge between creative documentary uh, and uh, television. So we basically want filmmakers who have been working with us uh, under the banner of creative documentary uh, trying out, uh, bringing kind of you know their experience, their vision, uh, with uh, a broadcaster, and in this case, kind of you know BBC. It's really important for us that somehow we start kind of easing the TV style of documentary, and start to be able to uh, approach kind of stories in a different different way. Um, so, uh, Long Live Livy is a very good example, and it's our first one from our first round of right here. <laughs> Why don't we start at the beginning and uh, maybe ask, um, maybe Parisa, um, a little bit about you know, how, how the film came to be. I mean, did, the, um, did you have the idea for this film before you heard about right here? Is it something that you had in your head for a long time? Or did you hear about right here and then think of the idea? How, how did it? How did it come to be? Yeah, well, I had the idea quite um, quite a bit before, actually. I had um, found out very randomly um, about my connection with Livingston Skate Park. I think about a year before um, the Right Here initiative um, was announced. And um, it was interesting because I had um, produced and directed a film with Sir Jeff Palmer, and he's become quite famous in the past week because he's in all the news shows to do with the Dundas statue in Edinburgh. Um, and his son, believe it or not, Ralph Gilhooley Palmer, was an avid skateboarder at Livingston Skate Park. So when he saw this film that Sir Jeff Palmer, his dad, was in, um, and then he saw my name, he was like, wait a second, she looked she sounds like she's probably related to Ian Urquhart, who um, designed and built Livingston Skate Park. And so Ralph and um, so Jeff had emailed me about it. And then I asked my mum about it. She was like, yeah, yeah, he designed and built Livingston Skate Park. <laughs> Without, I mean, not, none of the family had really talked about it because I think they just didn't really realize the massive impact that Livingston Skate Park had throughout the world. And um, so I started looking into it more and, and basically, you know, Ian Urquhart, my, it was my, Ian Urquhart's my mom's cousin, but he's like my uncle, you know, and Dee Urquhart's still alive. So I um, started picking the brains of Dee Urquhart and other family members, um, going and hanging out at the skate park, meeting people, and also taking advantage of my... Um, contacts within the snowboard industry because um, I used to be in, in the snowboard industry and a lot of them are skaters. So every time I would talk about Livy Skate Park, 
they their eyes would light up and they'd be like, oh, like, Skateboard's legendary. And I'm like, oh my God, well, my, you know, uncle built it. And so then they would tell me all these different stories and then they would connect me up with other people who knew even more and so forth. So, um, so it came about like that and, and I started um, researching more and more and found out there were some key events that were happening there. It was like a summer um, gathering and that was actually in June um, of last year. And um, so I decided to go along to that and just start making contacts there. And um, Ling was with me because at that point, um, you know, I still didn't know really how I would make the film, um, what storylines I would have in it, but I definitely knew I wanted to acknowledge Ian Urquhart's work because he had tragically died two years after the skate park had been completed. So he wasn't really, he hadn't ever really been properly acknowledged. And even in shorter um, documentaries that have been made about Livy, he wasn't really mentioned much. Um, so yeah, so that's how it came about. And then Ling and I um, had gone to this uh, party, skate party that was there. And that's when I uh, noticed these amazing young girls who are now snaggle rats that are in the documentary. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so yeah, so you were sort of thinking about this idea of, I'd like to make a film. Mm. Um, I mean, without going into it too much, because it, it, it's not what happened, but as someone who does make documentary, what, where would you have maybe taken it originally? You know, because some of the people here might be thinking about getting into documentary or maybe have made something um, short. You know, if, if right here hadn't come along then, where do, you, where do you think you would have taken it? Yeah, I mean, this is it. It's, um, it's really amazing how things progress over time when you start looking into a subject and a story. And so certainly at the beginning, um, I, I was of the mindset that it would be more about um, talking about Ian Urquhart design building it, showing some archive and um, showing how world legendary it is. So probably getting other skaters in Scotland and around the world to talk about Livy. Um, so it was initially like that. Uh, over time, though, once I started meeting the different characters and seeing the little girls and meeting them and, and thinking, gosh, that's great. There's this younger generation that are there and they're loving Livy. Thought, so, okay. So I kind of held on to that, um, like kind of hook in a sense, but also um, I was um, meeting quite a few others of an older generation. They're all talking about the impact Livy had on them as young, um, as young children, but also as they got older, they started looking after the younger generation when they were at the skate park. So it's a generational um, impact that this place had. Um, I thought, okay, that's interesting. And then also hearing about Livy um, being a neutral space in the middle of a place that was full of gangs, drugs, everything. I thought, well, that's another interesting story. So all these different storylines started appearing. Um, and in parallel to that, as I started delving more, I started finding out it was really good archive and really good foot, um, eight mil footage as well as photos. And um, also, these key like US skaters had traveled over. So um, it, it's just, yeah, I think um, it, that just started enabling the whole storyline and the concept of the documentary to start expanding massively mm -hmm. and, and bringing far more depth to it and far more interesting characters. And um, so that's when I knew actually it could be a longer documentary and it could be far more colourful than, in a sense, just one story about one person designing and building it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we talked about this when the film was shown at the Glasgow Film Festival. And I was saying, you know, watching it, there's, there's a lot going on in this just 30 minutes. All those things you've just talked about, different strands and different characters and different stories you can, you can tell. And you do brilliantly well to sort of contain everything into those, into just a f almost a few minutes each. Um, but maybe we could bring in uh, Ling here as well. I mean, at what point did 
you know, why, why did you need a co-director for one thing? You know, could you, what was the reason for that? And, um, and was that a case of having someone else who could help you kind of work out those stories and, and make it sort of a, a cohesive um, documentary maybe? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so um, my background is in um, journalistic documentaries for Channel 4 News and so forth. And they're shorter, um, you know, up to 15 minutes. And um, so it's quite different from doing creative documentary. Um, and also um, Ling and I had met previously. I, well, the film, the film that uh, Sir Jeff Palmer had been in previously, Ling had edited that with me. And we got on really, really well. And um, so it was actually Noe who said, you know, how about the two of you work together co-directing? Because Lynn comes from, um, you know, has a massive wealth of knowledge in creative documentary, editing, directing, and so forth. And so it was a really good, um, it was really complimentary. And actually over time we realized how complimentary it was even during the filming and editing and everything so um it was just a, a really good synergistic kind of team that we created i think mm -hmm. <laughs> i'll leave it i'll leave it for ling to talk more yeah. about that <laughs> no it's, it's uh it was really great to get Noe's phone call and i must say you know uh Noe throughout my whole filmmaking career right from the beginning has been just so, uh, has, has just helped me immensely. It's just, she's always nudging me, just opening up opportunities. Nothing is sort of a problem ever. And, um, and there, you know, I was just coming out of motherhood, trying to get my head around uh, just being back uh, to be a filmmaker again. And throughout that, Noe said, you should be making films again and she's been consistently sort of <laughs> nudging me about it and so there came the opportunity when she called me and uh, asked me if I'd be interested and I you know I just had such a good relationship with Parisa from the beginning I just I was just like yeah sure <laughs> absolutely and it also helped that I uh, helped film the a part of the trailer at that skate party so I knew what the world was roughly so I had already quite quickly an idea and um, and it was just like a really great challenge to to do that and obviously in the beginning there are always these uh, thoughts if you co-direct obviously there are two heads and two ideas and I think quite a lot of people um, might not be sure whether it's a good, good idea and I think Parisa and I spoke quite openly saying you know let's be open in terms of communication feelings things we don't like or that don't work let's not take things personally let's just talk about it and I think we both whenever there were little things we disliked or so you know, we barely had confrontations. I mean, we didn't really have confrontations, but there were obviously uh, moments within all the um, shooting stress and that. And, but we could always, through talking with each other, um, iron it out. And it was just uh, a really positive experience. And uh, it was great then. I mean, my part in it was really then to figure out how we can, um, create a sort of more creative uh, feel, a way of storytelling in it. And she had all the wealth of information and obviously had established all the connections to the characters. And, and then I was just always questioning, so about how will we do it? How will we tell it visually? How, you know, without just asking them, interviewing them the whole time. And, um, and obviously then, and David Lee, the cinematographer, is here as well, discussing then with him the look of the overall film. And uh, if David wants to say something, we can unmute you at some point as well, just let us know. Hello. Hiya. Hi, David. Hiya. Hi, <laughs> I could show you as well. Do you want me to put your picture on or would you rather not? 
Uh, what do you mean? You, we can put your, your, your video on as well if you want. Or... He's a cinematographer. He always yeah. hides behind. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, is there anything you'd like to say, David? Uh, you, you mentioned there. Um, you want to do a bit of video? That's fine. Yeah, if you want to. <laughs> Stick, I'll go on first and then I'll hide if I get uncomfortable. Okay. There he is. Hello. <laughs> hey, David. <laughs> oh, it's the team. It's the team. Hey. Reunited. I don't think so, this is the first time for ages we've actually. I um, know. Together. <laughs> On Zoom. <laughs> Reunion. Well, David, the team normally we hardly see each other because we've got hats and gloves and jackets. Yeah. Because we're always filmed outdoors in very cold weather. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It, what, what was it like um the co-directors yeah you can tell we can we can get rid of them just now and just you can tell the truth uh, <laughs> no what, what was it like sort of going to livy and, and how did you uh decide on on the look of the film you know is it something you just think oh, it's gonna look like this or do you have to go you know go back a few times and think oh maybe it could look like this or how, how does that work well wait i'm just going to talk about the co-directors before i forget yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think they complemented each other really well. It was like, Priest had a lot of information, she had a lot of interviews, and then, you know, Ling would complement that, the interviews as well, if you need some part of it, part, some input. And then Ling was quite vis very visual, and then Priest would complement that as well, and then we worked together, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. So what was the first question? Um, well, it was really just about the, the look of it. You know, was there, because the, you had the, vintage, the archive footage, which was fantastic. And it was lovely to see, uh, you know, you would sort of cut between the, the older and the newer. But I just wondered about, about the look of the film. You know, how do you decide on that? Do you sort of just, is it just like, oh, it's just going to look like this? Or do you have to really discuss it and, and sort of go back and forth on ideas? Or? Well, it was a lot of, when, I guess we went to see the location. Uh, a lot of natural light, a lot of available light. Uh, talked about style, and what was there? Did you give us, Did you give me references, guys? Mm. Do you remember if you gave me references? Yeah, Linked to the mood board and so forth. Yeah. yeah. Well, was there any visual? Uh, we saw a lot of skateboard docos and various types of documentaries. She showed me ones that she made as well. What was that? Ling's edited before. Uh, Priest was one that she made as well before. Like you know, for like even macro stuff, I think on Paris's project, she showed me some stuff on that. It was a sort of a mix, and then some of it was quite you know, we sort of turn up and see what we get. Sure, it's hard to like pre-plan, but then you kind of go with it. It was nice, you know. You can either follow the sun, follow the characters, follow the you know what's good background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think it was sort of, we, we analyzed, especially in the first few shoots, a lot of uh, things together, how they went. It's, it's really sort of hard to tell, talk about the look sort of in detail. Yeah. And it was actually quite challenging filming three children and two mums in such a big place. <laughs> oh, that scene, oh, yeah. Figuring, figuring out um, where do we look, who do we, and uh, not just get overwhelmed by it and, and really just focus on the emotions. And I think mostly it was just really important to, uh, just the most important thing, just to focus on capturing the emotions within and even within conversations and communications within each other, just really observe if there's something, once the mom goes over to the child, what can we see there? And um, just trying to work observationally as best as possible, really. And then we would come back and analyze the shoots uh, at home and then talk about it and really it was also a lot figuring out. That was my first time really working with a DOP properly. And 
I was really trying to analyze David's head <laughs> <laughs> and then asking him, so, so what were you thinking there? And, <laughs> but you know, also just to answer, so we understand each other as well. And, and, and then figuring out sometimes I, you just, we just realized, oh, I think he's feeling really uncomfortable there because, you know, when things were a bit, shaky or something and then for example one of the scenarios was oh he, he wasn't actually wearing any headphones and that, and that through mm. that was one of the first problems and that threw David quite a lot and that's why he couldn't really the first big challenge really Ling <laughs> was on sound because you know we had so many radio mics <laughs> yeah. in order to to be able to mic every person around uh, which is a big challenge and of, of course diffuses the focus of, uh, uh, of the DOP because it's not kind of, you know, there's one sound, one image. All of a sudden there's multiple sounds and possibility of different images. And yeah. David, I mean, you actually had a physical challenge because you're <laughs> quite a tall chap and you are filming six-year-old girls. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They were quite, um, there was a scene where, what was it, the, the kids were in the living room? No, was it the bedroom? Is that right, Ling? Was it, it, was it, it would be basically called the Lynn Ramsey scene. Mm, basically, we just <laughs> filmed these little kids. You, you see it in the film where the kid's doing a face painting. Mm. And then we just filmed the kids and the mum interacting for like 10 minutes. And this kind of like, I guess it's quite a chaotic bedroom scene. And it was just... Just a really beautiful scene that was like a merge between drama and documentary. It was just, it was amazing. Yeah, I mean that like technically, like you said, Noi, um, yeah, it was really a challenge figuring out what is the best setup um, to film mm. little children and taller mums as well and um, and how to jump in between them to be very flexible and handheld wasn't really the solution because with the FS7 I realized it doesn't have a stabilizer really um, so you you and it wasn't until maybe the third shoot when we introduced a rig and before that we had a mixture of uh, David's hands and boxes uh, cushions <laughs> it was and and poor David's back. I mean, he really suffered, and we're just like, hang on, this is totally unsustainable. We have to. It was really freaking problem solving quite a lot, especially what you say, Noe, about sound. Sound was actually until the last shoot <laughs> a constant. Uh, how do we do this? Also, in this very small budget as well. Um, I mean, as Noe said at some point, Long Live Livy wasn't a really small budget shoot. <laughs> um, so they were a bit overwhelmed. I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about budget? I mean, you don't have to go into detail about, you know, individual, every penny, but um, even just talking a little bit about how you budget a film, uh, you know, a half hour film, was it something you'd, you'd both... Um, been involved with before and did you did you have any other help with that um well maybe just a little bit about well about that sort of budget and, and how, I, how you I did the budget actually you did the budget yeah <laughs> as a producer yeah <laughs> and uh, and Naomi had to kind of implement it um it's, yeah I don't think Naomi's here today sadly on the call but um, it, I mean it's uh, uh they're really tough first 30 minutes uh, documentaries because they're longer than a short and therefore you need a lot more storylines, a lot more kind of, you know, stronger narrative. Uh, you also need some form of kind of, you know, what we call the narrative arc, some development. So it means that you're not really filming everything in uh, just one week, um, which will be nice clean and cheap to do uh, it kind of lingers on kind of you know week after week after week for a few months in order to be able to have that narrative arc and that costs money 
<laughs> but unfortunately, uh, most broadcasters kind of, you know, seem to think, well, they still work with budgets, kind of, which are linked to you go and shoot a fortnight and you edit in three weeks and, mm -hmm. uh, and you're done and dusted. Um, but it's not really in order to get the most out of characters, uh, you do have to spend more time with them and you do need to explore a lot more during the editing. So uh, we have to work out the budget, kind of you know, trying to identify ways of being able to deliver that to support the uh, filmmakers to, uh, to have that opportunity. But at the same time, still trying to do it quite uh, cheaply in order to, um, to be able to get it done, really. <laughs> Yeah. So no big lunches. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd, you'd be amazed. It's like we thought Livingston is so, so, so close to Edinburgh. Mm. But even within Edinburgh, I mean, um, David lives at the bottom of Leith. Yeah. I live on the other side, on the west, and Livingston's over to the west as well. And to get the crew together um, without you know we, we couldn't make parisa drive the whole time everywhere and pick up anyone that would have really um distracted her big time and you know logistically and so although everything seems to be so close and in, in a sense local it just through having to spread um yeah the shoots over the days and and then with every day getting everyone together, it really, the co travel costs really piled up and that reduced quite a lot of, um, yeah, decisions. Yeah, I drove a few times. I think we got the bus a few times. Yeah. yeah. The glamour. glamour. We, we were just short of not going by bike, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was close. Close, yeah, because it was winter. <laughs> Were there things you wanted to, to shoot that you couldn't be, again, because of budget? I mean, there's a bit where I think it's Poppy has her arm, um, when they meet Tony Hawk, mm. her arm's in a, in a, a stookie, mm. and uh, we'd never see that happening. So that obviously happens in between filming. Um, but was there any time you wanted to go to any of those events that they talk about in Aberdeen or Dundee and you just couldn't? Yeah, definitely. I mean... Well, I was aware of these different events and um, we often had to just have a good chat about whether it was going to help with the storyline or not because we knew the budget was so tight and the, the, the costs were adding up every time we just did one more journey or another even a half day or a day extra filming. And we had, a, we'd, you know, discussed that really with it, because of the budget, we had a max, I think it was 11 days of filming. And um, so we really had to work out, plan out, right, what's really important. So I think, and, and actually, believe it or not, even within the days that we did film, we had quite a lot of footage, so we could have done potentially a longer documentary. And we we're quite keen to do that, but we knew, you know, it had to be 30 minutes. Um, so, yeah, if we had if we had a commission for feature, um, I think we could have gone to those other events and really delved in further into each different character and their interactions and the really amazing bond that the girls had and the bond that they were developing having with the other children that then became the Snaggle Rats at the end of, and um, we see them at the end of the, the film giving them the t-shirts. Um, so. Um, yeah, there were other events. Like, I think they had a, a weekend that I was like, oh, I'd love to film this, where they're all going for a weekend to this skate um, competition and they're all staying in this um, Premier Inn hotel together. All the kids were getting together for different things that we're going to do and so forth. And it would have been like um, amazing to film that actually. But yeah, we just knew it just wasn't going to um, work for the storyline and we really had to focus in on that. Um, so, but you know, if we, if we, I'm, you know, I, I am keen to continue filming and uh, to get commissioned for further episodes and so on. And um, so, and uh, same with Ling. So there are going to be further um, 
uh, gatherings and events and so in the future where we'll see the magic of the snaggle wraps so it's all good <laughs> i mean talking about sort of producer director sort of uh relationship i think um noi did such a good job at um really being quite uh, having a really good overview of what the story should be really and what we should focus on so when we suggest that sort of going away on a skateboard uh, competition, she immediately would be, she would be quite quick just saying, but what, what is that to do with the story? And, um, you know, in a 30 minute, you know, considering the length of it and being, you know, just, uh, <laughs> just being quite strict. And then, yeah. and then we would try to argue and, it, you know, in a sense, it would really, get more out of the children's characters but really there isn't really enough uh, space and then we would go like children going mm, okay yeah we went you're right <laughs> let's not do it <laughs> you know, a bit sad along the way but <laughs> I, I was thinking about the editor link <laughs> yeah yeah thanks i really appreciate it and, and you were right absolutely <laughs> I think I think the thing I was going to mention as well to do with the budget, like what Noe was saying, the, the budgets aren't the budget was tight. I think I, with, I mean certainly what I found was the amount of time I had to spend um, connecting to the characters and and um, building relationships with them really and uh, over this is the thing with these with documentary making. You're connected with characters from quite far back, even before, way before anything really gets commissioned. And they're building that relationship, building and building and building it, to then really build a sense of a uh, level of trust. So they can they trust you and trust that the, the documentary is going to come out okay and they will be, you know, portrayed in the way that they want to be. And that that all takes so much time. I don't I don't know. You know, if all that time was, you know. Um, accounted for. I don't know if you'd ever get <laughs> a budget for documentaries that covers all the different time that's involved compared with, for example, maybe a drama or um, like you say in a way, uh, a standard TV documentary where, you know, you film within two weeks and then you edit for a certain amount of time and then that's it and then you move on. So it's interesting. It's different, isn't it? It was created documentaries. Yeah. Well, I was wanting to ask you just a little bit about that, um, the difference between creative and um, sort of, um, you know, the more journalistic work you've done, Parisa. Mm. Because obviously, you know, you're telling the story, you don't have a voiceover, there's no narrator. Uh, and at the start of the film, you have a, a kind of a montage really taking you from the, uh, the, the, the genesis of the park to up to the present. Um, was it something you had to kind of, did you have to, teach yourself almost a different way of storytelling from the, the urge, did you have an urge to sort of say, let's have a narrator saying, and this is what happened in 1970, whatever. Um, you know, how, how did you sort of uh, learn, if, if you did on this project, how did you learn that different way of storytelling? Mm. I, I, don't, I don't think I had in my head, um, you know, I really wanted a narrator. Um, ah. I'm not too, that too keen on narrators, but I think, I think, for me, um, I was really, you know, I'm very much someone who gathers together a lot of the information and perhaps, um, let's say for example, you know, the surfaces, the surfaces of Libby were so bad and, you know, it'd be good to get that sorted, get it resurfaced. So I'm very much, I'm quite practical and we'd probably be looking more at, you know, getting comments or interviews or whatever to that effect to say, well, how can it be resurfaced again? How can this be done? How can that be done? Things like this. Um, so, it's probably viewing a bit more to interviews rather than observing. Um, think and and so, but I like the idea of observing, and and of course that's what we you know veered towards and so on. There were times, and you probably picked up. There were times where we felt that perhaps 
the observer wasn't getting certain information that the mums felt. So there were, you know, bits of interviews here and there that we did have, which ideally we wouldn't really have wanted to have, but it was kind of the way to get certain things, you know, like Romney talking about, you know, what, like, we just can't afford to keep going to indoor skate parks. It's so annoying. We want Livy to be the way it is. You know, they wouldn't necessarily say that to each other, you know, yeah. as mothers would say to the daughters. So, yeah. Um, so it was kind of a bit of a hybrid, but I really, I really loved, um, yeah, the input that Ling had and, and Noe and David and so on to, to really veer as much as we could towards observatory and get as much as we could from that. And then just snippets here and there to get that other additional info in. Um, and, and can I say, like I was watching with my friend uh, Gary, um, Torrance, who is a documentary maker, and he really commented on the fact that he loved that there was no narration and that it the whole um, story carried through without any narration. And it was in, he he found it interesting to watch something like that on television because it's just very unusual. Mm. What well, what I also sort of learned working with Parisa actually was because she's got an more journalistic background. I think it is, you, you always, you often need both, especially if you do TV, something for TV, you, you know, it's, it's quicker sort of getting information out, obviously through interviews, but it's, um, I just realized, you know, asking questions that, that doesn't mean it's, it's less creative and, um, and I'm just talking about different interview techniques, for example, and, and we talked about it as well, that Theresa is very good to, you know, get all the sort of basic questions to get the information out. And then, um, but then I realized actually there's a different way also to, to ask questions that is less so. And, um, and, and that is a really interesting thing about how do you ask questions to people and obviously mm. where and in which scenario and um, how, how do you get, it, it's really trying to understand how do we get their real emotions, what they mm. say, it's not just information, but it is connected to their emotions, what they're going through. And, and so really was about how, how do we do this? When do we do that? And then we, we explored a little bit more, you know, uh, in that scenario, really how we, um, I think there was one, there's one scene that was um, towards the beginning when uh, Romani, the man with the red hair, um, was telling her about her feelings about Livy when she was there back in the days. And, and, uh, that day, Parisa uh, couldn't film or some for some reason, and yes, yeah, she needed to be at the festival for her other film, and um, and she was going. Romani was going through the uh, magazine, the old magazine that we see later, and that was a really good time to actually, you know, she was so amazed looking at the old photographs, and that took her back to that time, and that was sort of the right moment to sort of see how, what her connection was. And that was really interesting to, and, um, to sort of analyze, you know, different ways of asking questions and really mm. thinking about it. Yeah, definitely, I agree, yeah. I think also as well, what we found as well was, um, it's quite different asking questions to adults compared to with children. And, um, I think um, what I what I found a bit at first was I was asking ch the children questions at times like I was speaking to an adult and I was like oh no no, no wait, wait a minute I've got to really change this approach because even some of the words they just took on they didn't know what those words meant and so then they're just looking at me blankly I'm like oh right okay wait a second so I had to totally simplify simplify the questions right down and make it uh much more I don't know like yeah more yeah simple and approachable and and so forth so at first I noticed like sometimes like Kerry especially Kerry with Poppy Kerry had to in a sense translate some of my questions and then when I was listening to how she was translating it 
was that okay that's the way to ask poppy questions and um so it was it was quite a learning curve with that so it was really interesting um to to do that so but yeah it was good it was actually good that ling and i were both there yeah together co-directing because we had that we could talk about stuff like that afterwards and work out you know the best approach and so on yeah well one question i wanted to ask we've got a question actually <laughs> in the chat room but i just wanted to ask you about the scene where the girls talk about their idea for fundraising um mm. because that um mm. you know it's obviously you're, you're trying to catch them talking about things naturally, but was that entirely just they happened to mention it then, or did you have to encourage them to to talk about it at that very point you have to be filming, or how did that happen? Yeah, it was interesting with that scene because at first, when we started, um, the scene started with us um, bringing the girls over to the bowl and they were hanging out in the bowl, but at first they were up, up at the top and they're walking along and you can see that um, Rudy is looking down on the bowl and so on. And when I was chatting to her about it, you know, I felt at first when she's saying, I just want this bowl resurfaced, this is how we can do it. And I'm like, what's going on here? Are you, are, are you just repeating something that let's say an adult has said rather than is this really coming from you? But what I started realizing over time that that is how Rudy is. That's really how Rudy is compared with the others. They're a bit more dreamy and like up in the air about things and, you know, get distracted and everything. Whereas Rudy is just straight down the line. And, and so um, when they did go down into the bowl and so forth, um, yeah, I mean, there was, you know, I did have to just subtly ask a few questions here and there to get the conversation going. But yeah. You know, quite a lot of the time by that point, they were just they were just talking and we were just loving this interaction because at that point as well, the parents were far off on the other side of the skate park. So they weren't around, which I think made a bit of a difference, actually, um, because they could just play and chat. And because we were at a distance, we we're standing at the top of the bowl. They were down in the bowl, just the three of them, you know, mucking about and stuff like that there was that separation a bit distance so they felt they were they're in their own wee bubble and then they could just start chatting away and and it was just magic some of the things that they're saying like i just loved rudy trying to work out well how much would it cost to um you know <laughs> the skate park yeah. and come out with all these figures and then yeah you no know, and then, twelve thousand pounds you came up with in the end or yeah yeah so, <laughs> I get, I get what you were so I, I understand your question, uh, John, because I think a couple of people asked me actually, did we set her up? Did we ask them to talk about fundraising because it's so so on the money? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, they had an understanding quite quickly that we were really interested in the state of the park, and I think by that time that was throughout half of the shoot. Um, they were really sort of tuned into that, but we never spoke to them about fundraising or what the solution should be. We mm. wanted them to come up with something themselves. So when, when, um, when we first talked to Rudy about, can she tell us about the state of Livy? And then she got into it and then the others are coming uh, into the bowl and in there and they just got themselves. I mean, Rudy has a very sort of campaigning nature and um, they were they were protesting outside the school about not using plastic in school and that and you know and um, and uh, so she just really all of a sudden felt she has a role here. There's something actually we can do about this problem. And then she got herself into um, yeah, just talking about it. Yeah, that was brilliant that that came together like that, and you found those characters those. Those, those, those uh, girls. Yeah, um, that, I mean, that's one of the magical moments in documentary when things just all yeah. of a sudden unfold in front of you and you just go, we were just standing there thinking, this is so great. <laughs> <laughs> so the the, the camera is still running. Yeah. Uh, just with um, Mac walking away going, yes. Um, so, you know, just wondering what we could sell on the raffle. And um, <laughs> the other girls were previously, we, didn't, we couldn't capture it, but they were like, 
Mac is amazing at raffles. She'll be amazing. She'll raise so much money. You know, there's just all these things that they all know about each other and are talking about each other yeah. in, in the world. <laughs> and I find during the fundraising scenes, I think uh, we filmed for about an hour or two, non-stop. I just wouldn't put the camera down. <laughs> and even if there was, a, there was a quite a few scenes, a few days, it was like, I think we averaged about an hour handheld. Yeah. Until we dropped and we started again. Like, oh. <laughs> I know. Sometimes David was like looking at, at me thinking, I think I need a break now. <laughs> right. then, you know, and then, you know, uh, Ling or Priest would like whisper in the ear, like, do this, do that, move here, move there. So I'd like one ear, I'd listen to the sound of the commentators, uh, the contributors, and then you got direct in another ear, like, you know, try this, try that. It was good, it was interesting. And then, you know, they wanted a lot of shots, a lot of angles. So it was good to be like, not sit back and just do a wide shot mm-hmm. and just cover it. It was like, no, get in, get this angle, listen, concentrate, focus, you know, really think about it for like an hour or so. It was quite intense, but, you know, they got a lot of, you know, shots, lots of angles and a seamless looking project, I've been told from people. Yeah, great. And, and, and that was, Bling was very much, very good at that, at, at really, you know, homing in on getting close up to the different mm-hmm. girls and getting that emotion at different times. Um, and that's what really makes it because, you know, and that was the aim that you had, Ling, wasn't it? For us to be really in their world rather than standing back. And um, I was like, yeah, bought that idea immediately. I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's, you know, be in their world and live it and feel it as much as we can. And um, yeah, Ling and David were really good at doing that. Yeah, great. And uh, we do have a question. Uh, just got the time here. It's what, 10 to 12. We've got a question from Kieran Hennigan. He says, Super Film, where did you source your archive from? And what was that process like? had put feelers out in the skate park and done loads of googling and so on and had tracked down some great photos and then tracked it down um, through word of mouth to Kenny Oldmans who is kind of like seen as the grandfather of Livy um, and he had um, he, well, he has a garage absolutely full of skate paraphernalia and it's unbelievable so I um, started building up a relationship with Kenny and um, I didn't realize how much archive he had, but believe it or not, over time, only found out when we went to interview him and I said, listen, could you please, you know, we'll come, we'll interview you, but we'll also love to film some of the skate stuff. So when we turned up at his house, he had literally covered his whole front living room with all sorts of skateboards, the plans, the um, magazines, photos and everything. And then he also just gave me this bag that was this old, quite moldy um, brown bag full of boxes of slides. And he said, listen, Dee gave me these when just after Ian died, she basically, I was like, How, what happened? She, and the, the kind of agreement we both thought was, I think Dee just, you know, really just wanted to move on from, you know, all the painful memories. So she'd given um, Kenny a whole load of slides um, that Ian had, had taken. And um, so that was amazing to get that. And um, Kenny lent all those slides to me. And then also luckily Dee, and once I tried to speak to her more and say, you know, just subtly here and there and say, you know, there is moving image. I know you and Ian had taken when you were at Livy, but also when you traveled to California and so on, you know, how can I get that? And luckily she put me in touch with, believe it or not, Sir Jeff's Palmer's son again, Ralph. And he had, um, he had, him and his friend had digitized this moving image quite a few years before and watched it. And he like immediately sent me a DVD with that footage. And I was like, that's amazing. So I managed to get that. And then also the newspaper articles and magazines, that was a mixture of um, Kenny Oldman's again. So I started asking him more, what else have you got and so on. And then a few other skaters who actually um, had 
stored stuff that Kenny had lent them from years ago. So I just, it was just really a gathering exercise and getting the feelers out and then I got everything, so. Great. Uh, and um, Nelissa asks, how many hours of shooting in total? Amit, do you remember? <laughs> per day. Well, uh, just in total, really. How many? You said eleven days. Um, yeah, I think on average it was four hours, five kind of you know uh, maximum kind of you know shoot. Uh, but sometimes we had several cameras, <laughs> yeah. so we did end up with more footage than uh, than just kind of one camera. Yeah, st still came to like a twelve-hour day from leaving home to getting home. You know, as in. Kind of know, like just from, I mean, but yeah, shooting wise, about five or six, eight hours or something like that. Mm. Not, that long day. not that long, no, no. But in total, it felt like it, but <laughs> no, I think in total, maybe over just around 30 hours. Would you think that's total. right? Uh, 11 days, yeah, mm. yeah, five or six hours. Sorry, uh, it's so hard. No, to I, I, think, I think more. I think more. I would say 40, 50, 60 50. hours. Yeah. I mean, yeah. or, or yeah, uh, 11 yeah. days, kind of, you know, an average of five hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 50, okay. 60 hours. I mean, um, for actual footage we shot, I think it was like three memory cards. So I think it was about three hours, between two to three hours of footage per day. I think. Yeah. And, um, how and what scenes um what, what scenes do you have several cameras that's that's another question can you remember what scenes had multiple definitely the last scene mm -hmm. um with the gathering um, um no more because we uh, run uh came on uh, three or four days oh the know. school scene the school the school, school yeah scene. yeah yeah and uh, yeah, the very last, yeah. Yeah, and uh, David. The demonstration I, also, did we not? No. No. Uh, no. It was just one. Yeah. And David, uh, why did you go for the FS7? Did you shoot HD? It's <laughs> <laughs> because I, I own an FS7. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Uh, but also, I mean, it was, it was a good, uh, it's got a good latitude just to cover all what we need. Because we should. Did... Sorry. <laughs> no, we said. I really <laughs> like the look of the FS7. So we, yeah. we talked about it. That we could have also used the C300, but I, I liked the FS7. And we all sort of agreed that that seems to be a good camera. And obviously, David, having one, felt really comfortable with it and had all the amazing lenses to go with it. Because when we graded the footage, there was a difference between the C300 and FS7, but we still mm. matched it, but there was a difference mm. in quality in some sorts. But uh, what lenses? Uh, old Minolta lenses? Yeah. And zoom lens. I mean, out of interest as someone who doesn't make documentaries um, <clears throat> and doesn't work with the BBC, uh, if, um, you know, when it comes to, so you knew this was going to be for BBC Scotland, do they have any sort of... Um, standards that they say to you you know you must film on something like could you have done it on your phone for example or does it need to be a cert above a a certain level it's just a uh, it, it needs to be approved by them yes i right. mean if you can justify why you're shooting on the on your phone then uh, then it's fine but you need to justify it um, right. and even in terms of um the ratio of archive and live footage. I mean, there are restrictions, etc. Um, so yeah, all that needs to be cleared with them beforehand. Okay. Can, um, uh, we shot HD, I think she asked a question. Yeah. We asked for, we think we're gonna shoot 4K, but then BBC <laughs> happy with HD and it's, it's a good medium, less yeah. data hungry. I mean, it still doesn't make sense, I mean, for documentary to shoot on 4K just because of the sheer volume of material then to uh, take to the editor, really. And I mean, you know, most of our computers are not <laughs> powerful enough for that. 
Uh, but of course, I mean, if you are kind of, you know, if you're doing some amazing kind of landscape, uh, animal kind of footage there, yes, I mean, 4K, it's still kind of, you know, gives you more flexibility that you may want. Can I just say something, a final quick thing? Um, the one thing I noticed that was really good working with Ling as well was, um, because Ling's also an editor, mm. she was really good at knowing um, and advising David and so on about the different, the mixture of the different shots we needed because then she knew she had enough of them to then go into the edit and cover these different scenes, which was, which was great because, you know, I guess with Ling, you've probably been caught out in previous times editing something going, oh, I wish they'd filmed from that angle as well or whatever, but they haven't. So I think that was a real, um, you know, a, a really like it was really important and really good and also the the technical knowledge that Ling had um, from editing but also from the use of different cameras and and and, and all sorts was brought into the whole um, conversation when we we're filming which really helped things go much smoother so it was really yeah it was really good. I just see our time we're now on 12 o'clock but I just wanted to ask, uh, my final question really is just about what, what's next for Livy? Um, I want to keep following these girls. I think Ling does as well. Yeah. Um, I think the idea is for us to see how um, successful the viewing figures are for this film and, and then go to the BBC after that and say, okay, are you interested in more episodes? Um, or, or alternatively, um, we do a feature film um, so, you know, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of putting feelers out about that avenue as well to see the response. Ling, anything you'd like to say before we well, just sadly to have to end? Just to add to that, I mean, just looking through the tons of comments yesterday on all the social media networks, um, like lots of people seem to really want to follow up and want to want to see I mean I, I think there's sort of some people think there's a series about long live Livy they, they don't really pay attention to the subtle headings yeah. <laughs> on <the> iPlay <laughs> so they think it's the first episode of six it's like no <laughs> um, yeah I, but I thought that as well when I looked at it initially I was like oh my goodness they do see this vision of the episode <laughs> and then I was like oh wait a second no <laughs> They haven't told you about that. <laughs> well, who knows? You might have an email from someone when you go back, you know, in a minute to tell you that you've got a series out of it. But until then, um, thank you for, for taking the time to, to chat to us today. Um, everybody, you got some really nice comments in the, in the chat there. Everybody loved the film. And uh, Ryan says he wants to see part two in the future. Definitely. Um, Okay, well, I think that's us, really. We should let people get to their and back to work I, and back to lunch think, and things. I think we should just plug for the next right here. Sure. <laughs> the second episode, which is our yeah. father's next Thursday at 8.13 in the evening. A very different film, but also a very beautiful film. So uh, please come and join us kind of, you know, in front of our, of our televisions. Yeah, lovely film. Please come and watch it, definitely. <laughs> yeah, and, and we'll be back this time next Friday as well to, uh, to chat to the directors um, of that film, Kieran and Zoe. So, also um, co-directors. <laughs> also co-directors, yeah. Uh, but yeah, hopefully we, we answered everyone's questions. If you've got any more, I'm sure Parisa and Ling would be happy to answer things on Twitter, maybe, or... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Great. And we've got the Long Live Livy social media link. Uh, I just put it in the chat. Oh, yeah, put in chat. Yeah. Uh, so you can get in touch with us yeah. as well. I like, it's I like it's going to be on iPlayer. Sorry, David. I like Lisa Kendi's comment that she fought the Tony Hawk when she saw Tony Hawk on the screen. It was really moving. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I know. Oh, we could, we well, could talk so much longer about this, really, couldn't we? But. Well, just very quickly, went very we'll quickly for it, yeah. when um, I sent the, the link of the film to, to the Tony Hawk team, um, the, the contact there, I said, you know, what did you, what did, what did you all think about the, the film? And 
that was the one key area. I mean, of course, it included Tony Hawk's so we say this, but literally the woman I was seeing with said, I just started crying when, when I saw that scene. <laughs> it was really emotional. And so they, they loved it as well. Thanks to Parisa and Ling for joining us. We'll be back soon with more episodes of the podcast. You can also sign up for our newsletter at scottishdocinstitute.com forward slash subscribe to hear about the latest news and event details. Thank you.